Hello, travelers of the spectral streams. This is your chronosphere mechanic, Garbanzo. Here is your host today for chronosphere fiction. As your chronosphere pilot, Fishbonius is busy piloting us through a transdimensional reality vortex. And believe me, folks, that is not easy to do. We are coming up upon what on Earth in America they call Independence Day, and so we thought it would be a good time to open up this episode of Chronosphere Fiction, the first of three, Conceived in Liberty. Join us as we cavalcade through a whole bunch of political ideals and so forth. Remember, if you haven't done so already, go to patreon.com slash chronosphere and contribute a dollar a month for a few months. It helps us to get things together and hopefully pay our actors and writers and all that good stuff. Oh my, the Star Spangled Banner just got really weird. Well, everybody, strap in. Pull out your flags with the stars and stripes and wave them as we listen to the first of three episodes of Conceived in Liberty. America, the not-too-distant future. Act one, scene one. A throaty voice pierces the darkness. I love America. Folks, I really do. It's where I was born and where I've lived my entire life. It's where all my friends are, where I've chosen to raise my children. It stands for everything in the world, physical and metaphysical, that I hold dear. It's been as much a source of personal hope to me as it has been to the rest of the world generally, for generations upon generations. But more and more, I felt like a foreigner, unwelcome, in my own country. And I know plenty of you out there have as well. And the question I keep asking myself is this. Is it because the country and its values really are outpacing us? Like the elites, the traitors on Capitol Hill and Wall Street say from their polished mahogany podiums and at their well-catered board meetings, like they tell us from their prissy newsrooms? Or is it being taken from us, systematically, by those who are only interested in cementing their power and altering the fundamental character of the nation? If you're paying attention, you know the answer. We are the enemy. They despise us. They want to silence us because we're a holdout, because we refuse to go along with the program because we stubbornly cling to our freedoms, which they find just contemptible. They'd throw us in camps if they could, and make no mistake, that, folks, is the end toward which they strive. Lights up on Aaron's bedroom. It is modest in character and a touch cramped. Virtually the only atypical feature is an American flag pinned to the wall. At one end of the room is a window looking out on the city. At the other is the door connecting the room to the rest of the apartment. It's closed. There is also an attached bathroom. 
the voices coming from Aaron's computer. Aaron himself stands with his arms crossed and listens closely, though something about him suggests detachment. Now, we all remember when Senator Rubin was gunned down outside his house last spring, and how convenient that his assassin was killed by his apprehenders before he could be questioned. Don't forget, he was unarmed when they caught up to him. That's been proven. They shrug it off, of course, just a procedural error, they said. But how convenient that Reuben should be made a martyr for the bill that he authored that now bears his name. As you all know, that bill cleared the Senate just yesterday thanks to a couple, a couple turncoats, a couple cowards who let their touchy-feelies get the better of them. If Reuben wasn't killed, we know the Democrats couldn't have mustered those votes. So the question we now have to ask ourselves is, who will they kill to force it through the House? The vice president, maybe? They need 25 Republican votes to make it happen. There's just no way. Folks, these are the times that try men's souls. This is where we must make our stand. I cannot exaggerate what's at stake here. The Rubin Bill won't just loosen the definition of hate speech as defined by the Warren Act, which has already resulted in the detainment and imprisonment of free thinkers and conservatives, but significantly ramps up the minimum penalties and even provides federal tax dollars for a new task force under the Department of Homeland Security to give the act teeth, as they put it, meaning the thought police are finally here. The next step is going to be re-education camps. Mark my words. They're going to need some place to put all their political prisoners. Now, we've heard the rhetoric and the narratives, and this is all precautionary, within constitutional bounds necessary to suppress spiking political violence. Folks, it's all posturing. The bill's sole purpose is to shut you up. We know our treasonous criminal excuse for a president will sign it into law. Hell, it's got his fingerprints all over it. The House votes in two weeks. The American people don't want this. But unfortunately, American leaders have never really cared about what they want, do they? The American people don't want to be spied on either. But Congress continues to lend the tools of mass oppression to disdainful bureaucratic institutions like the NSA. And this is both parties I'm talking about now. But House Republicans must show a little more backbone than their counterparts in the Senate. They must do right by their voter base and block that bill. Election year, folks. If they don't, We'll find patriots that will stand up for the Constitution. But by then, it might already be too late. We'll have kissed our free speech goodbye. And political discourse will be such that... Aaron, could you please turn that down? Aaron doesn't seem to hear her. The Rubin Bill won't just loosen the definition of hate speech as defined by the Warren Act, which has already resulted in the detainment and imprisonment of free thinkers and conservatives but significantly ramps up minimum penalties and even provides federal tax dollars for a new task force under the Department of Homeland Security to give the act teeth, as they put it, meaning the thought police are finally here. It'll be reduced to what they think 
is acceptable, meaning what accords to their own agenda. And those of us who want to speak our minds, it's now illegal. We can't do it any longer. Aaron! Aaron's mother enters the room. Aaron, I asked you if you could turn that down. I just got Brent to take a nap. Aaron complies. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't hear you. Yeah, I wonder why. You've got that crazy man cranked up so loud, I think the neighbors could all recite the Second Amendment word for word by now. His name's Kurt Gower, Mom. He's got a lot of insightful things to say. If you say so. (laughs) I think he says some pretty nutty things. In fact, I seem to remember you calling him a hate-mongering, nationalistic, conspiracy theorist once. Probably. When I didn't keep an open mind. Besides, his ratings blow everybody else's out of the water, so I think he's really got his finger on the pulse of America. Yeah, fine, fine. You can listen to whatever you want. You're an adult. Just keep it down, okay? Sure, Mom. Thank you. She makes to leave but catches herself, remembering something. Oh, and you said you can watch Brent tonight, right? I know I wasn't scheduled, but Murray called and he said... It's fine, Mom. I can always watch him. Sure, great. I, I mean, I mean, if you had plans, I could call my babysitter. No plans, as usual. All right. Um, I don't want you to feel, I don't know, trapped or anything because of my work schedule. You can get out every once in a while. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Maybe I will. Okay. Again, she starts to leave but recalls something relevant. Oh, just as long as you don't go to that protest downtown later this month. What protest? You know, the one over that new law they're voting on? I thought you would have heard of it. Aaron shakes his head. Well, I I heard on the news there's going to be a counter-protest. Right, police? All that doesn't seem like the safest place to be. Aaron takes a seat. (sighs) Don't believe everything you hear on the news, Mom. But don't worry, I won't. Okay. She gives him a smile and begins to withdraw, but is held up this time by Aaron. Oh, Mom? Yeah? Just for future reference, can you knock before you come in? Um, oh yeah, sure. Thanks. No problem. She exits, shutting the door behind her. Kirk Gower is still talking. Aaron listens in silence. We've seen it before. We know the red flags, the warning signs. I'm scared, ladies and gentlemen, for the future of this country, that my children will grow up in, that your children will grow up in. What kind of totalitarian dystopia are we passing on to them? As I said before, and I hate to repeat myself, but this is important, the stakes are just too high. They're going to try something between now and the vote on the 27th. They have to. I don't know what, but you mark my words. They will. Blackout. Scene 2. The Washington, D.C. office of Steve McPherson, Republican representative from the 52nd Congressional District of California. He sits behind his desk, reading from a piece of paper, a slight grin on his face. His desk has an uncommonly large stack of letters upon it, not to mention a wine-themed gift basket. There's a knock at the door. He looks up from the paper. Come in. Into the room walks Barry, his chief of staff. He carries a single letter in his hands. He leaves the door open. He seems upbeat. 
Busy at work, birthday boy? What, no balloons? Oh, who's that one from? This one? Ugh, just the wife. Misses me, happy for all of my successes in life, can't wait to see me. Oh, that's great. This, however, is from Governor Mosley. A special thanks for the appropriations I fought for in that last budget deal, so he says. Appropriations, earmarks. Can't keep up with all these euphemisms for good, honest pork any longer. Barry examines the basket. Ah, very nice. Cheese and everything. What, no white, though? Todd knows me better than that. You ever had a California Cabernet? I'm telling you, we make the best wine in the world. I'll have to take you to Tuscany one of these days. Maybe after my re-election, a little celebration. (laughs) Now, don't we think we're getting ahead of ourselves, champ? Statistics do favor the incumbent, Barry. They also favor veteran sons of immigrants in California elections, like your opponent. So don't get cocky just yet. I jest. What's that you've got there? This? (laughs) This is the reason you ought to get cocky. This is a nicer birthday surprise than even a good Pinot. Oh, really? Barry begins to open the letter. The House Majority Leader asked me to pass this on to you. You're... you're serious? You bet. Coop and I are old friends. I ran into him just a few days ago in the National Mall. His family's in town, so he couldn't drop by in person, but he wanted me to give this to you. Well, give it to me. I think I'll read it out loud, being the courier. It's only right. Barry begins to unfold the letter. Oh, come on, Barry. No, no, I insist. I should know what he has to say anyway. Go ahead, just keep your voice down. Barry starts reading the letter. Steve, I'm delighted to wish you a happy birthday. Hope you and yours are well. I wish we had the chance to speak some more at the fundraiser in Delaware, but we'll talk soon. We're all still very impressed by your reclamation of San Diego for the GOP. And when it comes time to open the coffers, we won't forget about that. I'd love to introduce you to some learned friends of mine in the business of political action committees. They can be an enormous help. Call it a birthday present. Your voting record's impeccable, and I know you're an honorable man and a team player we can trust. <laughs> Best Roland Cooper. Now, how's that? Barry, that's... That, that's fantastic. It's, it's good to hear. That should give us some elbow room in November. Barry drops the letter on McPherson's desk. And it's like I keep telling you, pal, your star's rising. You're bright. No, no. You're the bright new face. You keep playing your cards right and, well, hell, I need hardly remind you there's plenty of room to, shall we say, grow in this town. They don't call you kingmaker for nothing, do they? Don't be silly. A chief of staff is only as great as his member. (laughs) You you get it? (laughs) I get it. Been holding on to that one. Where I go, you go. I hope that's without saying. Barry bows. I live to serve. So, have we found our new communications director yet? No, not yet. The interim guy gets it done, but he's got this accent. He's like that guy in Sling Blade. Don't like it. I've got my people venting a couple candidates. I'll brief you on them once I can. 
Wish we had, God, what was her name back? Uh, Lisa. Ooh. Oh, she always wore those tight little skirts. Oh. Scarlet appears in the doorway, looking bashful and sexy. Neither man notices her at first. Boy, did she know how to work a pair of pumps. Never seen legs like that before, I don't think. (laughs) McPherson's eyes wander and soon find Scarlet. She gives him an understanding smile. Uh, Barry. Barry turns. He gives Scarlet a quick up and down, ending with her legs. Oh, maybe I spoke too soon. Speaking of new hires, this is, uh... You can just call me Scarlet. Your new secretary. A pleasure to meet you, Scarlet. The pleasure's mine, Mr. McPherson. No, Steve, please. Steve, sorry to barge in. I know I'm early. Not at all. No, you know what they say about the early bird. She's a real catch. Oh? That's right. She's on McNerney's staff. Till the old bastard stepped down, timing couldn't have been more convenient for us. Don't let her age fool you. She knows what she's doing. Barry shoots McPherson a mischievous smile. There is a silence rife with sexual tension between Steve and Scarlett. Well, I've got things to do. You two have things to do. We all have things to do, so I'll leave you kids be. Let you get acquainted. Happy birthday, Steve. Barry, grinning from ear to ear, makes his way out of the room and shuts the door behind him. There's a brief but awkward silence before Steve remembers to sit back down. Please. Thank you. Happy birthday. Oh, thanks. I feel kind of stupid. If I knew I would have got you something. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's completely all right. Honestly, the best present you can give me is helping me respond to these letters. Or some of them. You came in the nick of time. Scarlet withdraws her computer from the laptop bag she brought along. Happy to help. And by the way, what Barry said, what you heard... I'm sorry about- Don't even worry about it. I've heard a lot worse. Yeah? Me too, actually. Most of it from Barry, so be warned. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. It's surprising some of the stuff you'll hear on the Hill from time to time. I'm used to it. So, uh, working with McNeary, the, the lion of the house, what was that like? It was special. He had a lot of wisdom to offer. In fact, people would sometimes ask his opinion on completely random things, and he'd always have something insightful to say. And when he talked, people always listened. Attentively, I mean. He had that quality. Forgive me if I'm being presumptuous, but I heard rumor he retired for, uh, medical reasons? That's right. He's not so young, after all. No, I'd say he put in his time. I'm ready, by the way. I mean, whenever you are, so no rush. Oh, of course. Sorry, I'm all over the place today. It's no problem. I'm your employee now, so do what you want with me. Now, uh, who's up first? Uh, What the hell? Mosley it is. Not a fan of whites? (laughs) How could you tell? (laughs) Neither am I. I think you and I will work just fine together. She gives him a smile. He stands and begins dictating while she takes down his words. Jim, thanks so much for the gift basket. It'll bring a little taste of home to D.C. How's Fanny doing? It was nice to see you at the Republican fundraiser in San Diego last... Blackout. Scene three. The studio at which the Kurt Gower show is recorded. The show is in progress. 
Gower is seated while his fairly large crew stands all around recording video and audio. We've seen it before. We know the red flags, the warning signs. I'm scared, ladies and gentlemen. For the future of this country, my children will grow up in that your children will grow up in. What kind of totalitarian dystopia are we passing on to them? As I said before, and I hate to repeat myself, but this is important. Stakes are just too high, and they're going to try something between now and the vote on the 27th. They have to. I don't know what, but you mark my words. They will. Be warned and be watchful. They won't let this opportunity slip through their fingers. The complete obliteration of our democracy is on the horizon. Mike gives him a hand signal. We've got to go to commercial, but I want to thank our listeners and our viewers for tuning in. This enclave of resistance would be nothing without your support. This is about you, folks. Everything we do here. I'm Kirk Gower, and we'll be right back. And we're out. Gower relaxes himself while the crew sets about its various technical tasks. Mike steps over to Kirk. There's a good deal of incidental noise and motion, as one would expect on a set of this nature. Great stuff. You know, Mike, I think today's might be the most important broadcast we've ever done. And I think the ratings are going to reflect that. Good. Coffee. A young man dashes over and hands him a cup of coffee before running off again. It's important people know what's going on, that they're well informed. We're the last line of defense. They get through us. The people are fair game. There'll be no one left to speak up on their behalf. Mm Mm-hmm. I think they're starting to realize that more and more. Even the media is starting to have trouble ignoring you. What are you talking about? They shit on me every chance they get. Folks at CNN would gladly give their left nuts to see me shut down. If any of them had nuts, that is. That's not what I mean. I got a phone call this morning. They want an interview with you next Wednesday on the Darcy Hour. Kirk produces a pocket mirror and starts examining his appearance. An interview? A special. The whole show? Ugh. Michaela. Kirk's makeup girl sprints over as he puts the mirror away. Yes, Mr. Gower? Crow's feet. A little more highlighter on the cheeks. Right away. Michaela begins applying makeup as instructed. The conversation proceeds as she does so. It's these damn lights. They've got me sweating bullets. You ask Reggie if we could do something about that. Anyway, special, you said. That's right, an extended interview live. They say anything about the topic? Wasn't discussed, but I'd bet anything they're going to be talking about the Rubin Bill. They want a debate, not an interview. Lana Darcy's an opportunistic leftist media shill. She wants to rip me a new one. Still, the publicity's good. It'd be... You don't have to convince me, Mike. We need to get our message out there now more than ever. Anywhere and everywhere. We're standing at the threshold of complete censorship. It'd be a big event, no doubt. Expose us to whole new audiences. Lana wants to go toe-to-toe. Good. I'm ready for them. I'll take her down, her and everything she stands for, before the eyes of the whole nation. Done, Mr. Gower. Kirk checks his visage in his pocket mirror once again. Great, great, thanks. Michaela nods and walks off. So I'll call them back? Make the arrangements, shall I? You do that, and then I'll talk to Reggie about the lights. Will do. Mike departs. 
Gower stands, preparing to deliver a statement. Before he can speak up, a secretary approaches him. Mr. Gower? Not now. Your wife's on the phone. She wants to talk to you. I said not now. It sounds important, Mr. Gower. God damn it, how many times do I have to repeat myself? What's important is what we're doing right here. Sorry, Mr. Gower. The secretary hurriedly exits. Jesus! Kirk claps his hands, grabbing the crew's attention. They all put aside their respective duties to listen. Listen up, everybody. These are very exciting times for us. We are the flagship of the movement to preserve basic freedoms in the United States of America. We are on the front lines. And because we're out there fighting for what's right, a lot of people hate us. A lot of people want us to shut up. And they're trying to shut us up. But because we're doing what's right, a lot of people like us, too. A lot of freedom-loving Americans are flocking to us, and we're getting bigger and bigger. You can be proud of yourselves knowing that you're on the right side of history here, that you're making a difference for good. And I tell you, we keep pushing, every one of us, and we're going to make history and stop that bill. Thank you. All right, everybody, let's get set up. We're back in two minutes. Act two, scene one. The chamber of U.S. House of Representatives. It's a packed session at the tail end of a heated debate. A congressman addresses his colleagues from one of the lecterns before the rostrum. And frankly, it's unthinkable to me that even after Senator Rubin a man that I knew personally, one of our own, was cruelly assassinated by yet another violent right-wing fanatic that we would continue to allow the sort of deliberate hate-mongering which has led to that and so many other preventable acts of domestic terrorism. It's our duty as elected officials to ensure that law enforcement agencies have the resources and the legal prerogative to identify and suppress radicalism across the board before it comes to violence and to also ensure that freedom of speech isn't abused by people that only want to divide us and disrupt the peace. And with that, I'd like to end my remarks, Mr. Speaker. And I move that the House do now adjourn. The question is on the motion to adjourn. Those in favor, say a. Aye! Those opposed, no. No! The ayes have it. The motion is adopted. Accordingly, the House stands adjourned until 10 a.m. tomorrow for a morning hour debate. The speaker ends the sitting with his gavel. The representatives rise and begin filing out into the aisles and exiting the chamber. The majority whip calls on McPherson and a few others before they can leave. Lance, Charlie, Steve, a quick word. They huddle together in the aisle. Cooper wanted me to give some of you boys from California a quick pep talk. Make sure we're all on the same page. Of course, we aren't expressing a lack of trust or anything. Don't get the wrong idea. It's formality. Sure, Paul. I don't have to remind any of you that November's getting closer with each date. And I know how that can hang over your head. 
And of course, we know that the general elections for California Republicans are very competitive. And the tendency in response to a tricky general can be, uh, moderation. You know, just slide a little to the left. A seat or two, maybe. The Golden State loves a centrist. Now, doesn't it? Right about that. And granted, it might lend you a percentage point or two. But as important as it is to keep our seats, we also want to stay focused on the big picture. We've got to do right by our constituents and stay true to the values of our party as well. Of course. It can be a tightrope sometimes, but, well, this is the job we signed up for. But here, I'm telling you things you already know. To cut to the chase, either the Reuben Bill dies here or the Republican Party does. They might have wooed the Whiteheads in the Senate thanks to our unforeseen circumstances, but the House leadership is of one mind on this. If Schiller over there won't stay true to the values of the GOP of America, we're going to. Myself, Cooper, and the Speaker. It's what the base wants. And let me just say this. If the bill becomes law, how the hell are any of us going to get reelected if the voters are getting fined for so much as tweeting insults at our opponents, they'll be too afraid to even show up at the polls. They nod in agreement. If you need help in the general, come to us. We've still got the RNC on our side. We'll do what we can. But don't get funny with this vote next week. This isn't the time to play around. Not at all. And our angle? Well, there are serious constitutional concerns, needless to say. We know they call anything that isn't PC hate speech. And when they argue, when our whole agenda is politically incorrect, it's pretty clear who the target is. The enforcement of the law would be ideologically lopsided, just like the Warren Act, and just like it's intended to be. Of course, they'll say we're standing up for racists and radicals, but what else is new? Their own hands are far from clean. You're not kidding. You can count on us, Paul. Of course I can. Never in doubt. Well, I suppose I'll see you gentlemen bright and early tomorrow morning for another rousing sitting. Oh, if I could have a private word with Steve. Sure thing. See ya, Steve, Paul. Guys. The two make away. Guthrie addresses McPherson with an exceptionally friendly demeanor. How you doing, Steve? How's Barry? He's fine. We're both doing fine. Good to hear it. How was your birthday? It was just great, thanks. I heard you got one hell of a present. <laughs> you heard right. Cooper said he was going to connect me with some of his pack friends. Ah, oh, yes, that's right. I was actually talking about your new secretary, McNearcy's old gal. But obviously, you're a man who knows where his priorities lie. I like that. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know, off the record, of course, that the Speaker and I were discussing getting a caucus going for California Republicans, and you know, I think you'd make a swell chair. You think so? I do. You like the idea? Of, of course. And I'm flattered. Great. I'll mention your name. And uh, this will be after the vote next week. Hmm. Well, you don't have to worry about that. I know you'll make the right decision, Steve. Guthrie gives him a smile, pats his shoulder, and exits. By now, McPherson is the only one in the chamber. He stands there in silence for a time, pensive. He looks to the speaker's rostrum. Blackout. Scene 2. The spacious and well-furnished living room of Kurt Gower and family. Its opulence reflects his not unsubstantial personal wealth. At one end of the room is the house's front door. 
His wife, Cynthia, sits on the couch, looking anxious to the point of distraction. She is aloof of her children, who play with toys nearer the door. Before long, Gower steps into the house. Daddy! 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 Jack and Lucy dash to their father, who, beaming, embraces them in his burly arms. Hey, hey! Cynthia hops to her feet and glides over to them. Hi, Kirk. Kids? So what did you two learn at school today, huh? We went on a field trip to the museum. Wow, that sounds really fun. Kirk, can we talk? Oh, come on, Mom. Daddy just got home. Yeah, Mommy. Daddy just got home. Kirk, now. She stares him down. He relents, sighing and shrugging. Come on, let's go play in the other room. Do we have to? Do what your mom says, Jack, Lucy. Aww. Cynthia takes them both by the hand and escorts them out of the room. Gower, resenting what's to come, strolls toward the center of the room. Soon, Cynthia returns. What is it this time, Cynthia? Hmm, for some reason I still have expect what's wrong, honey. But I guess we're past that. Just get to it, would you? You pull my children away from me and you know I've got things to do. Oh, I know. You didn't answer my call this afternoon. Again. I skipped lunch. I had to read the transcript of the debate in the house. It was important. She has a teary breakdown. And what about me? Don't I matter? Oh, God, are we seriously going to do this again? Don't brush me off, Kirk. I'm your wife. What then? What did you want to talk about? I'm all ears. Kirk, I'm at my wit's end. You don't say. Would you please just take this seriously? You don't listen to me. It's like you don't even care. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Can we move on? This is what I mean. You treat me like... Like an appliance, like a piece of furniture or something. That is complete horse shit. How many hours of every day do I get to see you? Hmm? Two? Three? (laughs) Yeah, if you totally ignore the fact that we sleep together. Yeah, and sleeping's all we do together. Look, if you're just going to lob insults at me, I can get that from NBC. He makes to leave the room. She stands in his way. No, you stay here. You have to listen to me. You have to listen to me now. (sighs) Cynthia, you are my wife, and I love you. And I'd love to see more of you, but as I've explained, I've got a responsibility to the public. Oh, don't give me that again. And I work hard to support you and the kids. Me? Since when do you support me, Kirk? I haven't left the house in almost a week because you won't hire someone to watch Jack in. I don't want some stranger raising our kids. I thought you'd feel the same way. I feel trapped. I want to get out. I want to have friends again. And I don't want to work like a single mother just so you can have your fantasy family. When's the last time you paid for anything, Cynthia? How about that? Every day. Every day I pay for the lifestyle that you choose. Besides, this isn't about supporting me and the kids. It's all about the adoring public, just like you said. Now you're going to make light of what I do. Denigrate my service. Your service? God, just listen to yourself. You think you're out there saving the world. I've got a responsibility to inform people and to guide the country in the right direction. I'm a leader. Kirk, you are not a politician. You're not even a news anchor. You host a talk show. You don't make news. You comment on it. Do you know just how many people listen to me on a daily basis? Huh? 
I am a public figure. I make a difference. The politicians know that. People listen to me because they're afraid, and they should be. Are you even aware of what we're up against? I can't listen to that show anymore. I can't hear your rants, all your apocalyptic forecasts. You sound just like them. Like who? Like everybody on the late night shows or all the pundits in their little newspaper editorials. There's nothing wrong with the society. Gower's crazy. Everyone just stick to the status quo. Keep your head down. Don't make any noise and life will be bliss. And no one will come knocking on your door to haul you off for being an enemy of the state. You sound crazy. I sound crazy? I'm the one who's awake here. Who's lucid. You're the one who's got a goddamn screw loose. You know, I hate that I have to compete with your show. And I hate even more that I'm losing to it. It's my work, Cynthia. It's what I do. And it is important. Don't you want to see me? Don't you want to be with me and the kids? That's a stupid question. Do you still love me? I love my family very much. But you're married to your work. Well, maybe I am. Just maybe. It gives me a a sense of purpose that not even you can. You know, you're... You're just not the man I said yes to. No, that's where you're wrong. The country isn't what it used to be when we were first married. America needs me. The American people need me now. The walls are closing in. They want to get us off the air because they're afraid of our power. The power of truth. This is bigger than you, Cynthia. It's bigger than me. This is about integrity. The nation. The survival of Freedom, do you understand? She shakes her head. This is about you. (laughs) Whatever you want to tell yourself, darling. She steals her nerves. I realize, I realize that I can't change you. That you won't change. And I accept that. Thank you. But I can't be a part of this loveless excuse for a marriage any longer. I want a divorce. Kirk is silent at first. Unreadable. Then he starts laughing. (laughs) You're kidding, right? She shakes her head. He laughs some more. (laughs) Have you you been drinking or something? Excuse me? Because your ability to reason seems a bit lapsed. I mean, do you have any idea what harm you would do to our children, putting them through a divorce? Don't you dare say that, Kirk. I'm just saying... Maybe you should think this through before doing something hasty. I've thought this through. I've had plenty of time to think it through. My mind is made up. Let me guess. You hired a lawyer. I've consulted with one. It's great. That's fantastic. The media will just love this, won't they? They have a hard-on for me already. They smell blood in the water. Next thing you know, you, me, and the kids are surrounded by the press everywhere we go. Isn't that the kind of thing you like, Kirk? Shut the fuck up. I can't believe you're doing this to me now. Doing this to you? You fucking narcissist. You have no idea. I give you all those years of my life, two beautiful children, this house, everything. I can't be with you any longer. You're having a breakdown. You're not thinking straight. I've never been so clear-headed, Kirk. 
You can't force me to stay with you. I think it's best if you cooperate. Cooperate? Things will go easier for everybody, including the kids, if you just cooperate. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you are? You're making demands of me? You bitch. You'd like to clean me out, wouldn't you? Kirk, I don't want nearly as much as I could ask for. I'm not looking to clean you out. I just want a fair deal. Jack and Lucy silently appear at the far end of the room, drawn by the commotion. They go unnoticed by their arguing parents. A fair deal. Yes, fair. Joint custody. What? You think? Hear me out, Kirk. Joint custody? You want to take my children from me? They're our children, and I'm not taking them. I'm their mother. They've got everything they could want. Now, with me, here. Except you! You're not taking my children from me. Kirk, you know the courts will see things my way. Did you hear me? You're not taking my children from me. That's not what I want. If it was, I could probably make a good case for full custody, but... You're not taking my children from me, you cunt! He notices his children looking on, bewildered. He looks down. (laughs) Cynthia, mortified by what's just happened, turns and sees them. Oh, kids. Kids. Oh, let's, let's just go back to your rooms, okay? She rushes to escort them out of the room once more. Gower stands there, not knowing how to feel at first. Before long, he takes a seat upon the couch, appearing confused and perturbed. He begins to cry quietly. So ends part one of three of Conceived in Liberty. Let me introduce you to our cast. Your scene direction narrator, as well as Jack and Lucy Gower, are Rosanna Jimeno. Aaron is played by Will Geary. Aaron's mom is played by Kathy Lieberman. Kirk Gower is voice acted by Blake Benlin. His wife, Cynthia, is the great Dr. Michelle Booz. Mike is played by Warren Clark. Steve McPherson is Matthew Smith. Barry is our veteran great, Van Riker. Scarlett, the new secretary, is the great, Caitlin Curtis. Paul Guthrie, the majority whip, is the man of a thousand voices, our great Michael Bethel. Speaker of the House is Daniel French. Various congressmen are Joey Ochoa, Barb Larson, and Daniel French. 
Michaela, the makeup girl and secretary, are played by Joey Ochoa. Conceived in Liberty is written by Blake Benlin. Music recording and production, sound effects, sound design, etc. are Daniel French. Fishbonius Sound Design at fishbonius.com. Well, I've got to meet up with your pilot, Fishbonius, on the bridge. To get us through this vortex, we'll be dropping you off here. This is your chronosphere mechanic, Garbanzo. Wishing you all well in the spectral streams. Until we meet again, keep your cosmos clean.